Hi, I'm Tyra G., your host of Frankly Speaking with Tyra G. Welcome again to our virtual global gathering of phenomenal listeners. Yes, you. Fearsome and generous, humble and honest in pursuit of new possibilities and purpose. Every week we meet at the table for an hour to experience, educate, encourage, and empower each other through our joys and lessons learned. We share topics that tradition tells us there are some things we just don't talk about. But here, we live beyond both the judgment and the wreckage. We share aha moments and stories that have been left in our pockets for too long. Every week, we start right where we are. Although many of your voices will speak light into darkness, there is no insignificant person around this table. However, you must come dressed in your inner awesome, believing that impossible is merely a word. You're listening to Radio Fairfax, Fairfax, Virginia, on your TV, computer, or mobile device. And we are webcast worldwide on the Internet at www.radiofairfax.org every Saturday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Should you miss us, no worries. You can catch our archived shows on Frankly Speaking with Tyra G. wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you feel like connecting with me offline, that's easy too. Email me at Tyra Garlington, Tyra at TyraGarlington.com. I'm sorry. Thank you so much for tuning in. And thank you, Courtney Nero, for composing and performing our Frankly Speaking theme song and for naming it, I Am Listening. Over the past four years, storytelling on Frankly Speaking with Tyra G has been intentionally thematic. However, these past two years, I've had, at times, become unsettled by the constant uncertainty and unrest. Feelings would manifest themselves in sneak attacks while I was intentionally pursuing my purpose-filled life. It seemed like everything that could be shaken is shaking, where noise, angry noise, seems to be drawn out, laughter and love. I have had to intentionally focus on the reality that what is happening to me is separate and distinct from who I am. I have held tight to the power of a thought because I know our thoughts can link to new possibilities just as they can limit outcomes and get caught up in the noise. During this season, Frankly Speaking with Tyra G is curating stories that focus on things we can influence. We are celebrating stories that represent harmony, authenticity, vulnerability, and positivity in order to rise above the noise, the angry noise. Our voices, our stories are highlighting both positive and possible solutions we can implement together to build a healthier, more inclusive nation. We're learning from and recognizing servant leaders, game changers, game changing organizations, and planters of seeds 
that yield huge beneficial harvests. All who have lived their lives in spite of, rather than because of. All who brought light into darkness. These leaders and organizations choose service as a method of healing both self and the nation. They will become chapters in the Book of Enlightenment that we write together. To create a common thought space from which we begin our story, I will echo some words about service from best-selling author and acclaimed life coach Iyana Vonsan in her book published in 2000, Until Today. And I quote, The greatest service I can offer is willingness to do things in a new way. We're living in a new age, a new time, where things must be different. We cannot continue to say, so what? And, and just ignore and just say everything that's done has been done before. Something or someone must change. Well, it might as well be you. You have the vision. You have the opportunity. The only thing you need is the strength and courage to recognize that you've been chosen for the awesome task of implementing change. If you follow your own inner guidance, your progress will be the only evidence you need. Your life will provide a new direction for generations that will follow you. Your job is to bring about change in a loving, gentle, and harmonious way. You may have to have some people that you leave behind. And should that be the case, bless them and keep on moving. Until today, you may have been loyal to your family patterns that you would not step beyond what you have been taught to believe. But just for today, just for today, dare to be different. Dare to introduce a new way of being. Dare to climb out of the family tree into the lawn of service. This is a call to action on many levels. Our show today will feature a story about an organization that speaks life into legacy that began with a thought, a dream, followed by commitment and personal empowerment. Joining us at the Frankly Speaking table today is the leader of an organization that has a core value to transform lives. As a Catholic entity, they, and I quote, they speak these words, we understand that the real transformation occurs through Christ's transformational love. We strive to help the individuals and families with whom we work rediscover their God-given human dignity and hope. I want you to pause and think about that. Rediscovering means it's there. It's always been there. We have to discover and rediscover. It's a process. It's a process to continue bringing forth our faithful compassion and professional expertise, we walk with them on this path of personal and interpersonal development that leads to transformation. Mr. Stephen Caratini, President and Chief Executive Officer of the Catholic Charities of the Diocese of Arlington and for our international audience that's in Virginia. Stephen, I'm going to give you the mic, help our audience know a little bit about who you are, why you are, 
who you are and what you do. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Tyra. What a pleasure it is to, to be with you this evening. Um, I read one time that, uh, that the world could be divided into two types of people, stairs and goers. And I suppose uh, I'm a goer. Um, and uh, what brought me here to Arlington uh, in January of 2021, my wife and I, um, you know, as I look back, is, is really the result of, of so many, so many uh, blessings and, and choices and decisions that, that were made um, well before, years ago, decades ago. I, I, I go back to 2004. Uh, I had uh, 2001, excuse me. I had um, uh, left the private sector. I'd had a very successful career in the, in the private sector. I was living in Texas where our two children uh, were born. And, and raised, um, and uh, and and was feeling uh, a little bit low because uh, I realized that uh, I was not happy, and it was very difficult uh, to arrive at that that notion because I, I had what many people would consider the the uh, the American success story and, and had all the things that that went with it, um, but uh, now I realize it was the Holy Spirit. Uh, nagging at my heart and uh, encouraging me to look to do something different with my life. Um, so uh, I, uh, I, I left a company that I'd helped to start and, uh, and uh, wanted to do uh, something, something different, something more meaningful. Uh, and also I wanted to make sure that I no longer ignored my faith and my family and my own well-being in pursuit of in pursuit of my uh, my business career, uh, so uh, in in 2001 I decided to uh, to become a full time student again and pursue a, a master's degree in theology at the University of Saint Thomas in Houston. Ah, and I okay. can tell you, I I can tell you that those were two of the most wonderful years of my life. If I could have, I, I would still be studying. I would still be a student. Um, and uh, but that opportunity allowed me uh, the. Uh, to to they were truly a gift that, that that opportunity was truly a gift from God and gave me um, uh, helped me I learned so much about my faith uh, but I also it also allowed me to spend more time at home with my wife and children and and also to pay attention to to my health um, unfortunately I had to go I graduated and, and, um, <laughs> no fortunately uh, and, Stephen fortunately fortunately I graduated <laughs> and my wife was uh, very intent and very curious as to whether or not I was going to go back to work and and uh, I, I assured her that I would and uh, wound up talking to some folks at Catholic Charities in Houston and uh, so it happens to uh, we, we talked for a couple of months, and then the position became available as the director for Immigration and Refugee Services. Mm. And it was a bit of a full-circle moment for me because I grew up overseas, um, living in Spain, in Italy, Greece, Turkey, and Iran. I moved a lot uh, when I was young, uh, and I guess I never really stopped moving. And while I was never a, a refugee in the strict sense of the word, I learned I think I learned what it was to be an immigrant, to be displaced, and to have to start over in new, in, in new places. Um, I went on uh, in my career to, to work in uh, Colorado with Catholic Charities in Denver, and then uh, in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, with Catholic Social Services uh, uh, up there. And, 
And then, in another full circle moment, arrived back here in Arlington, uh, almost 40 years after my wife and I both graduated from Georgetown University. Uh, uh, it's a, I can tell you that it's a, been a privilege to work with people who care about others, who want to serve, Mm. and to do so in, in, in so many beautiful and inspiring ways. I am uh, mm-hmm. very honest that I can't do what they do, but I can help support them uh, in their in their work. And I believe that is that is what uh, what I have to offer uh, to our organization and, and to our community. You know, Stephen, I listened to you, and of course, what you said is pregnant with things I want to pursue. First of all. Um, Congratulations on your master's degree in theology. Second of all, I want to um, emphasize what you said. I don't want to lose this at all. You said, in many ways, I have been an immigrant because I was displaced and started anew in new new places. And what's interesting, if we take the, um, the political social uh, lens off of that, all of us are in our journey and growth immigrants. We move from one season and stage of life to another. And there are seasons when we're learning new things. There are seasons when we're in places that are not friendly to us, uh, where we're constantly learning. And I am learning in as I reach the end of the toilet paper roll, that we have so many more similarities than we have differences. We just have the willingness to, to, to look through a common lens. But um, I wanted to do something particularly because we have, in your introduction and in my introduction, used the word Catholic charities. And I want us to expose the fact that that's not an exclusive term. I want to talk about Catholic charity. We want you to talk about Catholic charities in terms of inclusiveness and diversity. Can you spend a moment there? Of course. You know, um, the word Catholic itself, little c, means universal. Yes. And uh, and and we serve we serve anyone and uh, who comes to us, uh, re- regardless of their faith or even lack of faith. And I like to serve it's because it's because of because of who we are, not because of, of, of anyone else's uh, uh, faith. And uh, I can, uh, so the, the diversity of people that we serve is, is truly amazing. Um, the diversity of people who are in service, who are actually providing the services, is equally amazing. Uh, um, and uh, it's a joy to work in an organization where people of many faiths can come together and speak openly about their faith, um, and and it's often it is the, the reason why they are doing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And so um, we have uh, Catholics and non-Catholics in, in our organization who um, where we share the values, where we share our common values, where we understand the God-given dignity of the human person, mm-hmm. uh, and we want to acknowledge and respect that. And, uh, and through our work and through our ministry. And uh, um, we hope that that's, you know, I hope and pray that that's what happens uh, every day, that we treat people with dignity and respect and with compassion uh, and, uh, and uh, that we serve them well. How long has Catholic Charities, the dia- di- 
diocese, excuse me, the Diocese of Arlington okay. existed. How long have you all been well, there? Uh, you know, the um, as I understand the history, uh, Tyra, we've, uh, we were originally part of the Diocese of Richmond when there was only one diocese in all of Virginia. Oh. And in 1947, Catholic Charities uh, was 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 founded. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, the very one of the very first ministries that that that, that the agency started with was uh, was pregnancy and uh, pregnancy and adoption, our pregnancy and adoption ministry, and that ministry endures. Has persevered, has 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 endured through this to through through right now. We have a, a thriving pregnancy and adoption ministry uh, uh, today. So almost seventy five, over seventy seventy five years, I think now. Well, now, Stephen, uh, when, when 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 you say pregnancy and adoption ministry, now you know what's glaring in our face right now, right? Roe v. Wade mm-hmm. and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Talk about the lens, the. Catholic Charity Lens as it applies to that concept, that population, pregnancy and adoption ministry. Sure. sure. Well, let me, let me, I guess, let me preface my remarks because we have, we have 20 different, more or less 20 different ministries uh, that, that we uh, administer at, at Catholic Charities and they're all underlying all of them is, 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 uh, is the, foundational belief in the dignity of the human person from the moment of conception until the moment of natural death. Okay. All right. And most, and most powerfully, you know, that's, that's exhibited obviously in, 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 in our pregnancy and adoption ministry by caring for uh, the unborn, by caring for the women who are carrying those children Mm -hmm. uh, before post birth and, and, and after they've given birth, okay, and uh, and ensuring that uh, children have uh, loving homes, okay, uh, whether that be with their birth moms or with adopted parents. Now, Stephen, when you say, um, "Oh, there's so much going on in my head now," it's so good to talk mm. to you because you've got you've got a present to give. Um, two things: how would a young woman? How would how would um, a woman? connect with you how would they know that this ministry exists is it outreach how how do you identify them how do you what what does that mean what do you do to help them along the way well if if uh if different depending on who's coming to us if, if a woman is is looking for uh an agency that can help her to uh, adopt uh, her child. Okay. Um, most often, most often they will come. That person will come to us uh, now through through our presence on social media or on the web. Okay. Um, oftentimes it's word of mouth through other agencies. We work, you know, where there'll be uh, a pregnancy assistance uh, crisis centers that are working with many young women and and. Uh, and uh, once a woman has chosen chosen life, then uh, uh, and uh, and may want to and is interested in uh, potentially uh, giving up that child for 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 adoption, uh-huh. uh, they're often referred to us, uh, or they will self-refer okay. again, as I said, through social media and through uh, through uh, through our web through our uh, through the internet. 
That is uh, so important. Now, you mentioned uh, they would come as a referral, so I'm, I'm thinking that a great deal of what Catholic uh, Charities does is collaborate with other agencies. Is that correct? Yes, yes. Can you talk about a little bit how that works? I can talk in general terms, Tyra, because the, my ex, I have experts on in each of the ministries, and, and I, so, I understand. Uh, yes, I, I, I know a little. Bit, I know a little bit about a lot. Okay, um, but uh, you know, we, we will work with with multiple uh, 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 organizations throughout uh, throughout Northern Virginia, and uh, uh, hospitals. Uh, uh, medical providers, mm-hmm. uh, as I mentioned, uh, the crisis uh, pregnancy assistance centers, um, parishes, yeah. uh, you know, uh, folks who who uh, will know to reach out to us and or, or give give the, uh, the the women our our uh, our number our, our information our number and email address and um, uh, uh, and. Um, and uh, you know, from there, you know, it's 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 the, the, the I call it the telegraph of the Holy Spirit, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, I like that. Um, uh, uh, and uh, and and people find us now. Uh, um, and we're able to help them. I because of many nonprofits that I speak to and am aware of, uh, I I realize that there's a whole another universe of collaborations, dependencies because. Uh, a woman or a man may walk through this door and they have the ability to refer and that's how we keep that going a couple of things before I get too far and you drove me to that when you said Tyra you know like I run the place okay I got people that I got people Uh, tell me a little bit about what it feels like to be CEO and uh, president of Catholic Charities uh, where do you find yourself? How do you present the community? What are your greatest challenges as CEO? I think uh, one of them is simply to be able to to adequately, appropriately uh, share all of the good work that's being done. Uh, we have a staff of over 150 uh, people it's actually probably closer to 170 now, mm-hmm. and, uh, and we have hundreds of volunteers who every day come in uh, and and do such beautiful work. So I think one of the challenges is just simply being able to to describe that work and give it justice. Um, you know, on one hand, it's well, yes, we provide housing for homeless men and housing for homeless women and children, and we provide you know service to to pregnant moms and to you know, adoptive, adoptive parents and families, and we feed you know thousands of. We provide food for thousands and thousands of people, uh, you know, on a weekly basis. Um, and uh, but I need I, there there there's much so much more that's happening. Uh, it's not just a provision of those services. It's also I think I like to think it's. Um, it's imparting, uh, it's sharing compassion, isn't it? It's sharing the love and consolation of God with people, mm-hmm. and and that is so critical, uh, so important. Um, you know, as 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 uh, the CEO, it's 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 vital that we we never we never lose sight of of who we are. Good. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not uh, we're not a we're not a 
we're not a secular nonprofit. We're not a, we're not the government, and, and all of those. Not, a, not to make a judgment, those, are, but that's not who we are. I understand. Uh, we have we have, uh, uh, and therefore we have a unique responsibility and obligation to to uh, behave in a certain way, to speak in a certain way, to act in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then that goes back to who we are as a as a Catholic Christian organization, uh, and uh, and so uh, I think it's a, you know I think the greatest challenge is to to make sure that uh, we uh, we don't lose our we don't lose that um, that sense of mission and, and purpose, um, and we don't despair. You know, uh, one of the many challenges we face is that we never quite, um, we, we don't, we, we, we're always seeing more and more more people each day. Uh, yes. So the work itself can be, um, and that can sometimes be, be, be very difficult because uh, there are so many people in so much need. And, and that's, uh, yes. That's also a statement on our world today. And uh, in my opinion, the fact that we, one, we have to be totally grateful for organizations like yours, as well as other nonprofits, as well as government agencies. Yes, all of those are important. However, the numbers are going up. And uh, I'm thinking of the past two, almost two and a half years now, and I want to ask you how the pandemic impacted your work as well. But I'm, I'm hearing and reading about research about young people, and even though they are inundated 24-7 with their social media, et cetera, they're still suffering from isolation. And they're still suffering from the negative side of social media and right. image of themselves, right. and they're losing the fact that they're worthy. So um, when you were saying, Tyra, we don't want to lose grip with who we are and whose we are. And I always remember, as a Christian myself, I may be the only Christian that person is aware of. I may be the only Bible. I, you know, the Christ in me may be the only essence of faith that they see at that point in time. And so um, it, it is difficult, and it, it's risky sometimes, but the fact that you are giving solutions to people in need makes it even more powerful, in my opinion. Um, the... the um, you said something when you were talking about your journey to the now, and I think it was in Houston, Immigration and Refugee uh, mm-hmm. Focus, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I, I want you to talk about, okay, we just finished in my Rotary Club uh, doing some things with the Afghan refugees and, and uh, mm-hmm. military uh, 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 mm-hmm. organizations. Um, did... I know you have an expertise there. Can you tell me mm-hmm. how that works with your work uh, that you're doing, Catholic sure. Charities? Sure. Well, we were we have been blessed with Catholic Charities over the last twenty years or so to have a formal uh, pro, formal ministry to to help uh, immigrants and refugees who come to our our area to Northern Virginia. Uh-huh. Um, and this past year uh, was was. Uh, uh, we were 
we were given the unexpected, completely unexpected opportunity to help resettle thousands. And there were more than eight or nine thousand Afghans who, who came, uh, came, men, women, and children who, who, who arrived in Northern Virginia. We were fortunate to be able to formally resettle over a thousand. Oh, that's wonderful! In the last uh, nine months, and uh, throughout uh, throughout Northern Virginia, and um, uh, yeah, you know, you, you're you're meeting these people who were whose lives have been uprooted and and displaced in a in a, in a heartbeat, and uh, are starting over with nothing, um, quite unexpectedly. Um, and you know, in most cases, none of them were looking to leave their home. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, certainly not at the not in the way that they did, um, with with no time to to you know, to to say goodbye, no time to get their affairs in order, and um, so very traumatic. And then you saw the scenes at the airport in Kabul. And, oh yes, yes, uh, yes. And uh, so I've met many people who were at the airport and were waiting mm-hmm. days outside of the airport and and enduring all sorts of, 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 of grievous harm to, to be able to get in and get on one of those planes and then yes. find themselves, you know, hours, weeks, you know, days later in a, in a military base in the United States and then several months later arriving in, in uh, northern Virginia or wherever they were going to be resettled uh, across the country. And I think uh, our experience in our Rotary Club, and we have uh, our past president has a uh, charity called Brigade of Mercy, and they're small, and the State Department asked her to get involved. And um, Mm -hmm. she and I were writing an article about the experience. And the thing that we forget, and I learned this when I was uh, in another job when I first came to uh, Northern Virginia, uh, we forget the power of cultural competence, uh, language, yes. uh, traditions, and when we would deliver a truckload of things or even a car full, you know, we say, what do you need? We deliver it to the hotels and they'll come running out because, as you say, they had nothing. They were courteous and grateful, but then you had some who wanted to maintain their uh, dressing style. Uh, mm-hmm. You had some men who would not allow their women to come and partake. They would, you know, and yet we had many who had been in over there helping us. So they had the the uh, faculty of good language, etc. But they still had mm-hmm. nothing. And being that close to that experience for me was uh, I don't know if I could have made it, you know. And uh, many of the the families, as you said, are dispersed across our nation, but so many of them were there for us for so many years. You know, it was uh, it was a price tag we had to pay and continue to have to pay. But what I want to know is, when you say resettle, can you give us a verbal picture of that process, uh, the way Catholic charities work with those thousand people over the last nine months sure sure so it it's on one level it's very practical right it's meeting people at the airport and and uh and then uh bringing them to to uh to their 
home. In this case, we were bringing them to the homes of, of relatives or, or other individuals who would agree to, to be their sponsor. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of the, the lack of affordable housing here in Northern Virginia, that was the only way that people could formally be resettled, were allowed to resettle in this area. They had to have what's called a primary tie. Right. So, so, we, so these were folks who had said that they would, who said that they would uh, help support uh, their family members or relatives uh, or friends uh, for a period of time. Now, so then, but typically, and in, 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 in other settings with other refugee populations, Tyra, we'll, we will we will find that housing for them. Uh huh. In this case, there was just such a number coming in at that's in, in such a constricted space and time that uh, it was felt that it would be better if they could at least have a place with their with their relative or family member while while we were figuring everything else out or helping them to figure out everything right, else out. Right, right, right. So, so it would be a matter of, of, of then working with them at that point in time. There were certain benefits that the United States government agreed to provide for them financial. Right. Uh, uh, and so our task was to help uh, distribute that, that mm-hmm. financial assistance to them. Uh, but also begin the process of, of of helping them to understand and to uh, succeed in in the new country that they're in, in the new community that they communities that they found themselves in. So, uh, as you said, some of the uh, some of the folks, and particularly the men who had worked with with, uh, with the military and, and U.S. government in Afghanistan, had 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 uh, good English language speaking skills, mm-hmm. but oftentimes uh, their wives and uh, and children did not. Or do not right and so uh, it was a question now of okay how can we how can we help to uh, those families and uh, to to uh, learn enough enough English at least initially to be called survival English uh, yes to start their journey um, uh, obviously we're working with both parents to see how we can uh, help them become employed as quickly as possible uh, we are working to help their children become enrolled in, in school, mm-hmm. uh, connecting them with the medical community and medical mm-hmm. providers uh, and, and and other providers in the area. We're doing lots of, of job training and helping them to develop their resumes, practice their interviewing skills, uh, helping them to figure out how to get around. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's that's special. We're, we're, in in the nation's capital, everybody's that's lost. Right. That's yeah, right. <laughs> that's right. Where, where do you go shopping? Yes, uh, yes. You know, uh, where are the mosques? Where are the you know where are the where are the grocery stores that sell what they want? You know, yes, uh, mm-hmm. halal meats and things like that. Um, yes. Uh, so there's a lot that goes into it, um, and uh, uh, it's not easy. It's not an easy journey. It's not easy for them, and sometimes it's going to be very challenging for our folks, uh, particularly our case managers, because um, I think and many of them are many of our case managers are former refugees themselves. Yes, and yes. So, I think Ron uh, told me that. They know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they know. They know how hard the journey is, and. Uh, and um, and so it's a it's a difficult uh, the challenge is uh, you don't you, you want to do enough to help but you don't want to create a dependency and you want them to keep and, their uh, dignity that's the thing we must, have to remember right. yes that's right we that's right. we don't they want have the, a, they have agency yes absolutely uh, and uh, one of the things um, 
I worked for a while with Workforce Development, uh, Northern Virginia Community College, and we worked with New Americans. And uh, for instance, we had a huge Korean community, and they had their addresses in Korean. And when they called 911, the the EMS they couldn't find them so we it's simple right. as putting the address in both English and Korean saved lives mm -hmm. I know it sounds crazy but when we mm -hmm. were delivering to the Afghans there would be maybe a family of 10 in one hotel room okay mm -hmm. clean grateful uh, my friend um, would go with her husband and she said they had nothing and they invited us in and offered us water you know Sure. They were sure. so grateful. And uh, this is where where things stop making sense for me when I look at our landscape today and the division. Uh, we can't make it alone, none of us. We need one another. And uh, I don't care who you are. You cannot exist as a, un as a, a unit unto yourself. But um, I applaud, my goodness, what you have done, and I celebrate the fact that you exist. What I'd like to know is I, w I do want you to talk about the pandemic because much, much of what you've talked about is outreach, it's uh, being present, and it's being face-to-face, -face and it's high touch, and then this invisible monster comes and... You can't do that. How do you survive? Right. Well, we became very creative and very flexible. Our staff uh, overnight had to think through those questions because you're right. We're operating in certain of our ministries that are, by definition, face-to-face. -face. You don't operate a, a shelter for homeless on a remote basis. Correct. And mm -hmm. uh, so we, our people, I think, not I think, I know, exhibited great courage, uh, particularly in the early days, and nobody quite knew what was going to happen. Now, now obviously, it precedes me a little bit, but uh, I know, uh, uh, you know, what we wanted to make sure that we everyone was kept as safe as possible, obviously. And, yes. And, uh, but um, I know also, too, our people had a great desire to serve and knew that that uh, our residents uh, in our Christ House Men's Shelter or our St. Margaret's Transitional uh, Home were, were going to be cared for, needed and needed our needed our, our uh, needed our help, and so uh, we found ways to be able to do so safely uh, for them, for us, um, for our volunteers, and, and of course many of our many you know we. We couldn't do quite everything that we had, you know, been doing pre-pandemic. So yes, uh, a lot of face, a lot of group meetings went to meetings via Zoom. Not mm -hmm. the best, but not, but, but at least they could continue to meet. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, you know, eventually, you know, obviously with with masking and social distancing, uh, we were able to start to to. Uh, I once again see people in, in person. Um, in some instances, Tyra, the, the, the benefit was, uh, for example, in our counseling ministry, which you would think were highly personal, uh, and face-to-face -face, um, within a week went completely remote. And so we started doing telecounseling, uh, 
And and the blessing of that development has been that we were able to now start seeing people from anywhere in the diocese, and we cover 21 counties. There you go. Yes, yes. There's light and darkness, right? (laughs) So if there was a counselor in Fredericksburg who had a free hour, there might be a person in need of counseling out in Front Royal. That's right. Yes. And now we could, they could, they could be put together and there would be a counseling session that would not have been possible even pre-pandemic because of the distances involved and, the, um, you know, the, 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 the logistics of getting, of getting counselors out to all of those, you know, far-flung places. So, um, uh, you know, what it did was it opened up opportunities for people to avail themselves of our services. I do want to say one thing in particular that was very interesting and I think should should bother us all mm-hmm. uh, as, as, as Americans, and that is um, during the pandemic, we distributed at one point, one, in the second year of the pandemic, we distributed over 2 million pounds of food. I believe that. Uh, and uh, uh, which was nearly double what more than double what we had ever done. And um, at pre-pandemic, I think we were maybe 900,000 pounds, a million pounds. We went up to 2 million pounds of food. And the question was a wonderful, I mean, what a wonderful effort. We collect food. These are foods of food drives that happen at all of our parishes. And then that food comes to our, we have centralized warehouses. Mm-hmm. And we redistribute it out to about uh, 100 different pantries throughout throughout Northern Virginia. And... Uh, which is, which is a good and wonderful thing to do. But uh, the question it should raise is why are there so many hungry people? And we're still, we're distributing now a little over a million and a half, close to a million and a half pounds of food now. I'd and, like to, uh, I'd like to put you, have you put a comma there. That question, why are there so many hungry people? But something else you just described, you were able to feed. That means more people were giving, Right. Right. Okay, so yes. there, that's an interesting phenomenon. Why are so many yeah. more hungry? And wh- who touched the hearts that more and more people gave during the pa- pandemic? And I think it still may be the case, the increase on generosity. Oh, yes, no question. I Maybe don't have an answer, that. but, you know, I don't want us to slip yeah. away. Yeah, there are a lot of hungry people. I get that, and I can think of some reasons we don't need to spend this show on. But right. the pandemic Though it was a dark time, there were points of light. I know at Rotary, I belong to a Rotary Club in Virginia, and I I went to Rotary meetings in Egypt, in Spain, you know? Mm. So technology, the good side of technology was it connected us. Right. What it's also right. doing is changing the way we think. And like you were saying, your counseling in, uh, ministry can be more expansive and more effective, right? Because you're not limited to -to face-to-face. Correct. Sounds like telehealth. A lot happened there, too, didn't it? It did. And, uh, um, in fact, we operate two free medical clinics uh, here in in Prince William County. And and, uh, uh, one opened before the pandemic and one opened during the pandemic. Wow. And uh, we're now starting to see close to 2,000 patients a year uh, providing free medical care uh, uh, to, to, 
to to individual to families, to men and women and children, and uh, again through the great and wonderful generosity of our community, yes. communities who support and sustain us. But but again, I'm always asking the question, uh, why? I know, I know. Uh, well, let and, me ask uh, you this: you you, sure. you um, okay? We see the landscape. Everything we're talking about, Catholic charities, is your solutions to problems, right? People come to you that have a need, and you provide. You find ways to provide. Well, here's my question. Where do you get your money? How do you exist financially? Where do you get your volunteers? And these are two separate things. How do you train them? Can you just spend a little bit of time on that? Sure. Um, well, we are very fortunate, you know, uh, to be to be Catholic charities because we are part of the church. We are part of the church here in Northern Virginia, the Catholic Church in Northern Virginia, part of the Diocese of mm-hmm. Northern Virginia. Mm-hmm. We have a bishop, Bishop Michael Burbage, who is uh, uh, keenly interested in in and mindful of the church's responsibility to care for the poor, to engage, to show our love in real and concrete. Uh, ways, um, so uh, we're, we're fortunate because he, he the, being the leader of, of, of our church, he is is constantly reminding people and teaching people as part of his charism, as part of his responsibility to teach mm-hmm. um, and to share with people that you know, uh, as Catholics, we, we we are obligated to proclaim the word, to celebrate the sacraments but also to engage in acts of charity right. in order for us to be completely to be fully authentic to to as as a as church as a church and as individuals mm-hmm. so so the leadership the formation of, of of people in our diocese has been and this has been ongoing for for decades since the since the diocese was founded in 1974 uh here in, in northern virginia but um so the, the answer to your question, that's where it starts, because people have an awareness of their obligation to serve, okay. to help, to okay. help the poor. And so when, when an organization like ours uh, then says, this is what we're doing and we need your help, um, that help comes to us in many different forms okay. financially. Um, and so during the pandemic, for example, the, the amount of generosity, the financial generosity was was un. You know, I, I should never be surprised at, at God's abundance That's and God's right. generosity. That's right. But I was surprised um, and, and so grateful. Uh, so, so that it comes to us through financial donations. It comes to us through people wanting to come and volunteer. Listen, we know we, you need some help um, putting boxes of food together at one of your warehouses or sorting food that has come in. We need to sort, you know the the food out so that then when it when it goes out to the we need people to come and volunteer to help us drive it to the pantries uh out in winchester or culpepper or front royal or down in kilmarnock mm-hmm. um uh we need people to come and help volunteer as doctors and nurses at our medical clinic that's how that operates right uh, mm. we need people to 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 come and and uh and be mentors to our to our uh, refugees uh, to walk with them on their journey uh, as, they're, as they're finding their place. Uh, uh, many times I will ask people to pray for uh, always I will ask people to pray for us, because that's another way to support us and to engage with us. 
In fact, prayer is the most powerful thing that anyone can do for us. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, if somebody wants to come to work for us, you know, we have an op- you know opportunities that that meet their their qualifications. That's another way for people to 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 participate and and share with us. But uh, um, you know, our, our all of it, all of it, all of it. Ultimately, everything we have comes to us from God, uh, and that's uh, through I think through and that is we experience that through the generosity uh, of 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 all those who support us in whatever way that they can support us. I, uh, I was thinking to myself, um, well, let me ask one last question before I sure. do. What barriers do you experience to your success now? Um, we've talked about... As an agency? Yeah, as an agency. Well, it's interesting. I, you know, it's an interesting term, success. I've always, I've always tried to avoid using that, Uh-oh. Uh, that, <laughs> that term because um, it, it. Mother Teresa, now Saint Teresa, once said that we're not called to be successful. We're called to be faithful. My bad. Uh, you're right. Believe, you're right. I stand corrected. Yeah, I believe if, if, if we are faithful. Then we will be given all the resources that we need to accomplish our work. That is and, so well said. Uh, and so I, I, I think the biggest challenge is to remain faithful, not to be scared, not to act out of fear or selfishness or greed or self, you know, our own ego, the sake of our own ego, mm-hmm. um, and, and to avoid those temptations. Um, but to remain focused, as I said earlier earlier in the interview, on, on who we are, to have that understanding of our identity. Yes. And then, then, then that that allows us uh, to continue our work. Um, you know, we face the same challenges that that so many other nonprofits face. It's, there are mm-hmm. a lot of nonprofits out there, a lot of good ones out there <laughs> that people can choose to support and do, and we encourage that. Um, uh, so of course, uh, maybe maybe we get a little selfish and wish that people would support us exclusively, but um, that's that's not really what's. Yeah. I think um, for uh, me, as I listen to you, uh, these past wow fifty minutes we've been together, um, I'm hearing a couple of things from your perspective, a couple, several things from your perspective, and that is based on your faith. Service is an obligation. Based on Catholic charities, service is responsive, faithful, educational, diverse, charitable, inclusive. I mean, I've just been writing some key words as I listen to you talk. And for that, let me say again, thank you. Uh, I want you to quickly, I want you to read your letter, but before you do, please tell people how to contact Catholic Charities if they want to continue the conversation. Of course. So the best way to 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 reach us is, is through our is, is through our website or through our through our email address. We can you can see us at www.ccda.net uh, and uh, uh, 
and there's also there when you go to that website, there are ways then to be able to contact me directly or contact any one of our ministries directly. Uh, if there's a particular interest, we also have a specific uh, opportunity there if, if someone wants to volunteer or to donate uh, financially to the organization that uh, figures very prominently on our website, and, and that is usually the best way to to uh, to contact us. Okay, ccda.net. Uh, Stephen, it's time for you to share with us your letter to your younger self. All right, well, here goes. Dear younger Stephen, be kind to yourself and be patient. You will be blessed with a loving wife, two wonderful children, who, by the way, will grow up to like you, and good health. You will become aware that you have inherited a great sense of adventure from your dad and a profound faith from your mother, and these two gifts will take you to places you have yet to imagine. You have a great gift of sensitivity, and you will suffer because of it. Try not to care so much about what other people might think of you. Because you've grown up living so much, you will find, like, you will feel like you never quite fit in anywhere. But this will also make you very aware of your surroundings. You will become a keen observer, and this will give you empathy. You will notice the stranger and the outcast, and you will know what to say and not to say to them. Stephen, be kind to others and generous whenever you have the chance. Be positive and say only kind things about others. You will be a sojourner, never quite comfortable staying in one place. Because of this, you will meet people from all over the world and live and work in so many places. Sometimes you will suffer from loneliness, but remember that you are never alone. God will send his angels to help you. You are a thinker, but it will be okay if you think less and feel more. You are a gentle person by nature, and although you might think that to be a fault, it is another gift for you to share, and you will more than you can imagine. Finally, Stephen, you will be able to see things well before others. Give them the time to catch up. Be good and be kind, Stephen. That's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. You've been listening to Radio Fairfax, Fairfax, Virginia, on your TV, computer, or mobile device. And we're webcast worldwide on the Internet at www.radiofairfax.org every Saturday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. I want to put something in our spiritual doggy bag to take away for those moments when maybe the noise, the negative noise, is too loud. And I quote from Glennon Doyle Melton, Stop holding your breath. Breathe. There's enough. I've created an abundance of acceptance, attention, recognition, joy, peace, money, energy, clothes, food. I will never leave you without enough. And there's nothing to be afraid of. No feeling, no circumstance, no person. These things come and they go, and you can live through them without running, hiding, numbing, or hurting one another of my children. And did you know this, my angel? There's never been anything wrong with you. Not one day in your life. You are exactly who you were meant to be right now, as you are. You're not to be ashamed. 
You punish yourself, but there's no reason for you to be punished. You can stop now. You're free. When you were born, I put a piece of me in you, like an indestructible, brilliant diamond. I placed a piece of me inside you. It is love. Love is perfect and untouchable. No one can take it. It is the deepest, purest part of you, that part that will someday return to me. You are love. You cannot be tarnished by anything you've done or that has been done to you. Everyone carries this piece with me, and I am a part of you, and you are a part of each other. The essence of each of you is love, and that is a letter from God. I want to thank all of you for joining us this evening. Your seat at the table is guaranteed. I look forward to next time. Until then, remember this. You're stronger than you feel. You're smarter than you think. You're more beautiful than you know and more love than you can ever imagine. You're chosen. You're important. Treat yourself like someone you love. My guest has been Mr. Stephen Caratini, President and CEO of Catholic Charities Diocese in Northern Virginia, in Arlington, Virginia, forgive me. Be blessed, my friends, until next time.